This is Reefer Revolution 4. Hi, my name is Daily Michael Thomas. I am a 36-year-old African-American male, born and raised in Chesterfield, Virginia, uh, what is now North Chesterfield, Virginia. I had my first run-in with the police um, due to marijuana um, at the age of about 15 or 16, riding in the car with a friend of mine um, in Chesterfield County. We were pulled over, and of course, the officer smells marijuana. Um, at that time, you know, of course, all of us are pulled out of the car. We're, um, we're searched. We're sat on the curb. A couple of officers arrived on scene, you know, spotlights all in our face and uh, sort of gone through the whole rigmarole of just being searched and labeled as, uh, you know, a criminal, being that we may have used marijuana. Um, eventually, later in life, uh, my first arrest was due to possession of marijuana a very small amount under under a quarter of an ounce uh which at that time um i i didn't face any sort of jail time initially um i, I believe there was a day or two spent in jail uh, additional fines and things of that nature due to the minimal amount that was found um several Several years later, in the North Chesterfield area, I was again later um, arrested for possession of marijuana, which then led to my incarceration, being that I had already had a previous arrest for it. Um, that incarceration was for about 60 to 90 days. Uh, I was offered some some sort of drug program, rehabilitation program, where I was forced to arrive at this program every day, uh, take breathalyzers, take a urine analysis screen. Um, the, the program also required that you have a job. And, of course, this is after being released from, you know, the time spent in jail due to the drug charge for the marijuana. And, of course, you know, you have to have a job in order to complete this program. And you have to show up there every day and also to your employment, which, of course, at that time in Virginia, when you do get a marijuana charge, your license is suspended, which made the completion of the program in my eyes, impossible. Um, long story short, I was not able to complete the program. Uh, I was in a program with people who used harder drugs, like, uh, you know, I don't want to mention those, but just, you know, harder drugs, and it just felt that I didn't belong there due to using marijuana. And that, again, that program I was not able to complete in which I basically went back in front of the judge and asked him to put me back in jail and let me just do my time because the program that was set up for me was set up for me to fail. And I uh, went back to jail and did the rest of my time just due to the fact that the program was impossible to complete. Um, 
hopefully the laws here in Virginia will change to help people like me who have been impacted and incarcerated and fined and had to, you know, lose things due to a drug that is legal and is legal in a lot of other states. Um, Thank you for your time. You're listening to Raise Capital, the week of September 1st, 2021. This week on Raise Capital, we hear from the Legalize It Right Coalition of Virginia about the new laws of possessing marijuana that started this past July. We've been given the permission to run a past episode of Marijuana Monthlies, hosted by Marijuana Justice each month and the first Wednesday at 6.30. In July, Marijuana Justice hosted the Legalize It Right Coalition, and today the coalition includes Justice Forward Virginia, Marijuana Justice, Rise for Youth, and Virginia Student Power Network. The Legalize It Right Coalition was organized in 2019 to prepare for the 2020 Virginia Legislative Session to push elected officials to repeal the prohibition of simple possession due to the racial disparities so blatantly apparent in Virginia marijuana arrests and convictions. Court records from the state's Office of Executive Secretary shows that Black Virginians were being arrested for simple possession at almost four times the rate as whites in the Commonwealth. In Richmond, we were arresting Black folks at six times the rate, and in other places we saw even higher numbers, like in Arlington, where Black residents were being penalized at 14 times the rate as white people for weed. Criminalizing marijuana was how politicians manufactured the drug war, giving a gateway to the carceral system through racial profiling. And as of July 1, the coalition met their two-year campaign mission to repeal the prohibition of simple possession, and Virginia was the first in the South to do so. But of course, there's so much more to do. On August 17th, the Virginia Joint Commission for Cannabis Oversight met for the first time. This commission, with both delegates and senators, elected Majority Leader Delegate Herring as the Vice Chair and Senator Eben as the chair of the commission. This seems appropriate as both were the chief patrons of the legalization bill in their respective chambers. The Joint Commission of Cannabis Oversight will meet several times prior to the 2020 session. And this first meeting, there were two main points that stuck out to advocates. Number one, a new possession crime, and then speeding up the commercial sales. A possession crime would be a move backwards after repealing the prohibition. It would also not meet another demand of the Legalize It Right Coalition, which is no new marijuana crimes as we legalize marijuana. Seems simple, right? But the JLARC, or the Joint Legislative Audit and Review Commission, often called the quote-unquote watchdogs, unfortunately missed the mark this time. Instead of watching out for the people, JLARC is recommending increasing civil penalties of possessing marijuana that just passed this July to a misdemeanor. They want to take us back to criminal court, y'all. But the good news is we've recently learned that per the reporting of Mel Lenore of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, that the chair and vice chair of the Joint Commission said that it was unlikely to happen. Check out this article that also features coalition member and race capital host, Kalia Harris. The second issue that stood out at the Virginia Joint Commission of Cannabis Oversight was the speeding up of commercial sales of cannabis. Now this rings an alarm in the equity advocate's ear because of what this urgency could do 
to social equity operators and how their strategy of speeding up could give an advantage to the medical industry. To hear more about this, register for Marijuana Monthly happening today, Wednesday, September 1st at 6.30 p.m., featuring Shailene Title, who is a Massachusetts Cannabis Commissioner and National Social Equity Advocate. So let's dive into this week's race capital and hear about the new marijuana laws in Virginia. Let's learn about what's legal in public, in the home, school campuses, and in the car. You can follow the work of the coalition at their new Twitter account at Legalize It Right, and be sure to follow each group for their important work outside of cannabis. Stay tuned for an informative interview with the Legalize It Right Coalition right here on Race Capital. This is Marijuana Monthly. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Um, my name is Chelsea Higgs-Wise, and I'm going to be your host along with our panelists here today. Um, so I'm really excited to be here and share some of this information with everyone and introduce who we have with us today. First off, I'd like to ask Kalia Harris, who is a co-executive director over at uh, VSPN. So tell us a little bit about what you do over there, Kalia. I am one of the co-executive directors of Virginia Student Power Network. So we work with college students and young folks all over Virginia, fighting for racial equity, economic justice, just working on campaigns that better our world. So we're interested in marijuana justice because the youth are some of the most heavily enforced and impacted people by the laws, and especially on college campuses. Personally, I have experienced the policing of marijuana during my own college career, so that's why I'm personally interested in this issue as well. Thank you so much. Up next, Brian Kennedy over at Justice for Virginia. Thanks so much for being here, Brian. Thanks, Chelsea. Uh, I'm Brian Kennedy. I'm the policy director with Justice Forward Virginia. We got involved in this work um, for a lot of reasons, but the big one recently has been to end pretextual stops. So for people who don't know, that's when the police pull you over because they want to pull you over, um, not because they should be pulling you over, which obviously we know happens to black and brown communities and poor communities a lot more than it does everyone else. Y'all are familiar with the idea that it seemed like every black and brown person's car smelled like marijuana for all these years, which then police could stop and search people for just that reason alone. So getting that out of the police's hands was really good and continuing to make sure we don't create new pretexts is a big part of our work here. Great, and I think Brian mentioned this, but to push and give you all a little bit more credit, as of March 1st here in Virginia, using that smell of marijuana is no longer legal for cops to say they can search seeds for your car. And that was a big part of the work with Justice Forward and the bill of uh, special session in 2020. So thank you for that work, Brian. Um, and last but definitely not least, uh, Executive Director of Rise for Youth, Valerie Slater. Thanks so much for being here, Val. Thanks, Chelsea. Yes, my name is Valerie Slater, and I am indeed the Executive Director of Rise for Youth, and RISE stands for Reinvest in Supportive Environments. We came to this work specifically because children are bearing the brunt of what is now going to be crimes for children for a plant that has become legal for the state. 
And that, you know, two years ago when we began this fight, that was what we were screaming. Do not begin the third uh, war on drugs against children. And we continue to stay in the fight because we are continuing to basically beat that drum. Stop criminalizing. That's right. And, you know, Valerie is also uh, one that just really stepped up a couple of years ago when the racial justice disparities and data came out and there was a real pathway to talk about marijuana in this way. And she came out with Rise and really said, we cannot forget young people in this. And that's why it's so important to bring young people along. And you've been close partners for such a long time. Um, and, and now looking back really quickly of what's happened and what's going on, just a summary of looking back. Um, the Legalize It Right Coalition worked with many organizations, particularly over this last past General Assembly, which brought us to where we are today of July 1st. Um, and just to give a, a quick rundown of what happened is that there was an introduction for legalization of marijuana. And it was a very large bill. But the summary of it was is that the legislators really wanted to wait until 2024 to quote unquote legalize and start a commercial sale. And so what our Legalize It Right Coalition really did is continued our work and our demands from two years, which really started in General Assembly 2020, which we said repealed the prohibition of simple possession. And thank you so much to the ACLU that was bringing in that language to understand that this is really a first step because repealing the prohibition is where we are today. And why we had to get there is because our coalition got together and said, Waiting three more years and still enforcing penalties, even if they are $25 tickets, it still is leaving the door open for the racial disparities for this gateway of policing that we've heard from Brian. And here in Virginia specifically, we do know that if you are Black and you are young, you are more susceptible for these marijuana charges. The majority of the simple possession enforcement was on young Black people. And that's something that we have to really take forward. And so we said, we can't continue that. We, we got together, we did an, um, a few different things with a petition, a letter, as well as many forums um, and nudged the governor to actually amend the bill, brought what we have today for July 1st. So there is some things that we really want to talk about deeply, but the big thing that we want to say to people about July 1 is that it's not necessarily about opening up an access to the plant, because if we're honest, marijuana has been pretty accessible through the legacy market for some time. But what July 1 really addressed just seven days ago um, is eliminating the law enforcement's ability to enforce marijuana for simple possession. And that right there would create a bit of a freedom and relief for particularly black, young, poor people that have been feeling the brute of this. We have a lot of data on this and it actually breaks down per locality and a certain JLARC report, which also came out of our work in 2020 to where you can see these disparities and how they ranged out in your area. This is why we have July 1 now. So when we're talking about why these are so confusing, why some of these laws do not necessarily make a lot of sense, it is because that this first step really is about eliminating the enforcement around simple possession. With that being said, let's just get right down to it and what July 1 means and what all of this is happening and changing in Virginia around possessing marijuana. So right now we're going to actually define what legalization or repeal of the prohibition looks like in different spaces. So we're going to take turns with coalition partners and break down a little bit of this 
and talk about what simple possession legally means in each space. I'll get it started with our public spaces, which is our most general spaces because it's pretty easy. Uh, the first thing you got to remember is that it is now legal, which means there's no penalty for having up to an ounce on your person and to have it in your pocket, to actually even it being shown, it should not be legal for you to possess it on your person. Now in public, there is no public consumption. There is no public sharing. So really the, the big benefit here um, is that you are able to possess it on your person without the enforcement from cops, sheriffs, anyone else that's there to enforce the law. And of course, anyone under 21, that there's just nothing there for you in the public space. And we'll hear more about that from our youth advocates as well. So that's really that in the public space. Again, we do believe that there's more to talk about in this public consumption space. And we'll talk about that with what's ahead. So please stay tuned. But in your public space right now, what to know about keeping yourself safe from any type of racial bias, racial profiling is that it is legal to possess up to one ounce on your person. I'm going to let Kalia jump on really quickly and just say a really important part. I just wanted to add for folks that are undocumented, there is consideration about this law. So this is a state law. Federally, unfortunately, um, there is still a prohibition of simple possession of marijuana. And so um, for undocumented people, especially, I've been seeing folks talk about how important it is to be aware that that can, can still have enforcement and especially can have impact on immigration. Thank you for that, Kalia. And we do know that marijuana is the fourth reason for deportation. And, and that is another reason why we have to continue to see how the enforcement of marijuana is continuing to impact our people. And yes, how we access marijuana, what we buy it. These are questions that we're gonna to continue to ask from the General Assembly, but thank you, Kalia, for also just bringing that point in public spaces for our folks that are undocumented to continue to be aware of that injustice of the federal law versus the state law do, that do not match up and continue to um, really bring this type of illegal and just enforcement. Now back to Kalia, we know that we can smoke in our home and we can consume marijuana in our home as long as we are 21 and up, but can we grow in our home? For the question, can I grow marijuana in my home? The answer is yes, with some limits. Beginning this July 1st, 2021, you can legally cultivate up to four plants per household. That means even if you live with roommates, Collectively, the legal amount of plants that you can cultivate at home is four plants. Exceeding that amount of plants comes with escalating penalties, from a $250 fine for growing five to ten plants to misdemeanor and felony charges for above that amount. If you home grow, you must make sure that your plants are not visible to the public or accessible to minors. This law does not specify what preventative measures you should be taking, nor how the penalties will be enforced. Home growers must also label each plant with their name, driver's license, or state ID number, and a notification that it is for personal use. Again, there is currently no legal way to purchase seeds or cuttings for home growth in Virginia until January 2024. Be sure to continue to communicate with your roommates and look at the total number of plants that you have in your home. 
there are so many ways to fall through the cracks, which is what happens with our criminal justice, particularly with our folks, black, brown, and poor folks on the margins. I, I'd also like to just mention in the home, it's really careful as a, someone that worked in the social services system for a really long time, that this also really impacts folks that are engaging the child welfare system and removals and criminalizing our families as a way and always has been. So uh, just remember like when long, whose who's homes law enforcement are in in the first place to be able to see this, right? And why they would be there in the first place. So we're also going to bring up, Kalia talked about with the federal piece, also in your private area, something that we've learned so much from New York, particularly and from DC, is that with these particular laws, cops are still going to possibly go after houseless folks, homeless folks, and folks in public housing because these federal laws, again, do not allow for you to consume even in your home if you're under federal subsidized housing like HUD. And so when we saw New York and, and DC decriminalize the people that were still being punished because public consumption was not legal and they had no private place to actually consume, we saw this disparity continue. And this coalition specifically, that's we've been something that's we've been talking to legislators about in the administration even prior to this General Assembly, because this is coming up in every single state. It is really important to know how even in your private spaces or when you're visiting friends or family members in those spaces to make sure um, that they know the laws as well. Uh, next, I'm going to invite Brian Kennedy to uh, come on up and discuss uh, what are the new laws like in your vehicle? We've talked about in public, in private, in your homes, and what about now in your vehicles? There's a lot going on with vehicles, um, fortunately or unfortunately. So the first thing to remember for everyone is that the driving while intoxicated laws have not changed. If you are impaired in any way, or a police officer thinks you are impaired in any way based off how you're driving, how you're walking, how you're talking, um, when you get in the car or near a car, you can still be stopped, you can still be searched, you can still be subject to all sorts of things um, under the DUI laws. A little friendly note is you do not have to do field sobriety tests ever. So if an officer asks you to do field sobriety tests, just go ahead and say no thank you. A little friendly advice. Um, but even if you are being responsible and you're not driving while you're impaired, there's still lots of other issues that can come up. Part of the new law is that you cannot use marijuana products while driving a car, just like you can't crack a beer and drive that in a car. But the way the law is written, it's a little bit more complicated than that. A judge, and because of that, a cop on the street can basically assume or presume that you're using marijuana while driving if you look like you're impaired, and that can mean a lot of different things. It could mean red bloodshot eyes. It could mean slurred speech, even though the police officer doesn't know how you talk, um, lots of things. And you have an open container of marijuana in the passenger area of your car. So two things with that. Open container means something other than marijuana packaged from a dispensary. So until 2024, there's no marijuana you can have in your car that's not an open container. So even if you have a sealed container of marijuana that you grew, you can't have that in the passenger compartment of your car. Passenger compartment means anything that's not the trunk. So if you have a car with a trunk that closes, put the marijuana in your trunk. If you have a hatchback, put the marijuana behind the last seat 
that you have in the trunk area of the car. You cannot have it in the glove compartment. You cannot have it in the console. You can't have it in a bag in the passenger area. Get it in the trunk. And ideally put it in a sealed container in a backpack or other bag that is closed. Um, and that will do the most to protect you when you are in your car. Another couple brief points about vehicles. If you drive Uber or Lyft or another ride sharing service, you can't have marijuana in the car while you're doing that um, at all. So if you're gonna go out and ride share, be very careful, make sure you take your marijuana out and leave it at home. You also can't transport marijuana into the state. So if you're someone who goes to Maryland or DC or West Virginia or North Carolina or Tennessee um, or anywhere else, make sure you're not bringing marijuana into and out of the state because I'm sure in places where Virginia borders other states, you may see people suspecting that people are transporting marijuana in and it just again, better safe than sorry. So long story short, if you're gonna have marijuana in your vehicle, you can't use it before you drive, you can't use it while you're driving. And if you're gonna have it in the car, put it in a sealed compartment in the truck. Um, and, and Brian, thank you so much for really breaking that down, particularly in the car. And would you, I know you mentioned before about the pretextual stops is, is, can you just weave that in one more time about why even now this is even more important? Right, so pretexts haven't stopped. We made a lot of good progress during the special session and last session that limit some of the most notorious reasons that police officers stop cars because they want to, dangling objects, tint, um, loud mufflers, and the odor of marijuana. But that doesn't mean police officers aren't out there still trying to use the traffic code, which is still this thick, or things like marijuana or driving while intoxicated laws to stop a car because they want to. Um, just like a police officer can stop you for driving 56 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, they can if they want to. Um, there's really no limit if they're creative enough. So things like, you know, you're weaving your car or they think you're walking out of somewhere that smells like marijuana, they can't stop you for that, but they're gonna follow you till you commit a traffic infraction, um, which can be anything, you know, not squaring off your turn, not stopping fully at a stop sign, um, stuff that we do every single day. If you drive, everyone violates the traffic laws every time they get in a car and police officers will follow you until they find you doing one of those things and stop you for something they can stop you for. That's not my paranoia. That is something I hear from police officers in court all the time. I, I followed them until I saw a traffic infraction um, of which there are still many. So I think that was, and you know, walking on the street, there's lots of this too, not just cars. So I think it's, they can't stop you for smelling marijuana anymore, but just be careful. Um, especially if you live in communities that are mostly minority communities or other communities that we know are over-policed where what they're really looking for is guns and they're going to try to find a reason to stop that. That's a huge problem in Richmond and Hampton Roads, among other places. Um, so just be very careful out there, especially if you are going to carry marijuana, which you're able to do, but that doesn't mean you're safe. Um, so just be even more careful when you're coming from somewhere like that. Thank you for that. You mentioned you do this in court. What, what do you do during the day, Brian? I'm a public defender during the day. Nothing I'm saying here is legal advice. It is just friendly reminders um, for everybody uh, based off the law, but I am I'm in court every day and see this stuff happen every single day. Okay. 
He's not showing up in his uh, professional capacity at this moment, and he's just providing some support here through Justice Forward Virginia and his policy director. But thank you so much for that, and it is really important context of, of our lens of we're bringing in. Oh, and one thing I wanted to mention too, and thank for Brian to bringing up, is the pretextual stops. It wasn't just in the vehicles, even pedestrian stops, and that was something that a lot of organizers and advocates across the Commonwealth have talked about, just the disparities and who was getting stopped at the pedestrian level and what that looks like, just because you're suspicious. Or as Brian said, they can do pretty much anything if they're creative enough. Um, so uh, moving on to how we've seen folks uh, be impacted by law enforcement creativity uh, to other spaces, I want to invite Kalia Harris from Virginia Student Power Network to talk a little bit about college campuses. Thanks for tuning in to Raise Capital. I'm your host, Chelsea Higgs-Wise, and you're listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. Stay tuned for Reefer Revolution 4. Hey y'all, so there aren't major updates, unfortunately, on the university and college campus side with this new law. Actually, nothing has really changed. So marijuana is still going to be illegal on college campuses. Anywhere pretty much that is federally funded, an educational institution is still going to be a drug-free campus if they want to keep their federal funding. So um, hint, hint, sound like we got to get some changes on the education on the federal level. But that does mean that enforcement, until there is a change in policy, enforcement is still going to be done by the police. SROs, I'm sure Val will talk about in a little bit, right? But it's how they will enforce these laws. There are things that colleges and universities can change. Uh, They can change taking police out of all those things. They can also look at the ways that they're um, just enforcing the laws in general. Uh, The other big thing to know is that federal financial aid and even some state financial aid is at risk with these charges, not even convictions oftentimes, but just charges. So knowing that because it is still being enforced, um, even if the law has changed, it's still illegal on college campuses. And if you are a student um, or a young person on campus in general that is with a student that's on financial aid or that has on-campus housing or simply just a student on campus, um, you are still at risk of enforcement uh, by campus police, by city or county or state police as well. Um, And that can have economic ramifications, academic ramifications. And thank you so much, Kalia. And before I let you go, the reason why Virginia Student Power Network is really in here as well is just because if this space makes it completely illegal, right, that means they have not repealed the prohibition here and that the disparities will continue on. And this is just another example of this school to prison pipeline thing that we're talking about that maybe sometimes we just don't think about in college campuses. We think about our young people too, but this is just another extension of that. Yeah, and our students were just in the Washington Post talking about this, uh, talking about the fact that students are, in fact, using marijuana, right? Like, just like the access hasn't changed, nor has use on college campuses and off. So continuing to treat it as taboo as the laws change is something that students, not only in Virginia, but all over the nation, are demanding that their universities look at it. So hopefully, Chev, the group that does our higher education um, policy work here in Virginia will put out some recommendations ahead of the GA. We are certainly 
putting some pressure on them to put out some recommendations ahead of the GA so that students don't go back to campus and fall thinking they can just light up a joint um, and that the police don't swarm them if that does happen. Okay, Race Capital listeners, we've got some big news. So make a note to grab your limited edition Race Capital merchandise. We've designed the perfect pack it up LeVar messaging for you to wear anywhere this fall or winter. Visit www.bonfire.com slash race dash capital dash merch or search Race Capital on the Bonfire site. And you can also find the link in our bio on all our social media pages. As always, thank you for supporting independent media and don't miss this opportunity to wear your narrative. Pack it up, LeVar. Well, we're, we're talking a lot about young folks and, and just the schools in general and just talking about young people. Valerie Slater, Rise for Youth, come on and, and give us the rundown. So yeah, um, Kalia, perfect segue and lead into the way young people are truly the, the new criminalized sector of our community, right? We now have class three misdemeanors for that 18 to 20 year group if they are caught with marijuana, caught using a second or subsequent time. You know, young folks 17 and under, if they are caught with marijuana, it's a $25 civil penalty, but they're going to be classified as delinquent. And that just opens up the whole Pandora's box of all of the penalties that can be tossed at kids. So, you know, if, if, God forbid, but if they find themselves in trouble a second or subsequent time, even if it has nothing to do with marijuana, there's going to be that first delinquency already logged on the books for that young person. So that whole idea of, you know, oh, perhaps we'll just uh, divert this, you know, courts are going to think twice about diverting a child who has already got a delinquency on the books, and then they're going to be considering it a drug delinquency for something that is legal. And and then for children who perhaps might have um, marijuana on their persons on a school campus, on, you know, a high school, middle school campus, it's a class two misdemeanor. So we have taken some pretty significant harsh penalties and tagged them onto children. And again, access has not changed kids are smoking marijuana. It's not to say that I am condoning, it's just to say that it is indeed happening and that we have created these these very clear pathways into the school to prison pipeline for children. That's kind of abhorrent in my opinion. Um, We will continue to fight against these penalties that again are incredibly steep. Um, You know, even though again, that $25 civil penalty that child is going to be classified as delinquent. So it's as if they've committed a crime that was no more than a $25 civil penalty. Isn't it, how are we able to package it up so nicely and deliver this child into the justice system for something that we have now made legal in Virginia? And so, um, and, and then I think about students who, again, on college campuses, the 21-year-old who is at the party with the 20-year-old passes the joint, not realizing that that person that they pass it to is not over that age of 21, all of a sudden that individual is facing uh, charges as well, 
Now, all of a sudden, it's because you have now shared with someone who was underage that you're looking at misdemeanor charges. So there are so many loopholes, so many downfalls, pitfalls that young people get caught up in. And it's young folks of color, particularly, that find themselves caught up in all of these loopholes. And so, unfortunately, we are just going to have to be hypervigilant as we continue to fight against the way this is stacking up against particular communities. Thank you, Val. Um, and, you know, we're, we, you mentioned misdemeanors. Can you just uh, talk a little bit about what a misdemeanor penalty might range from when for, for children? What might that look like? Yeah, it could be that child is going to pay restitution. It could be that that child is going to be on some sort of supervision, whether um, they've got curfew. So here's the interesting thing. I want to bring up something else. It's called the valid court order exception. So whenever a child uh, under the age of 17, whenever they find themselves in front of a judge for whatever reason, so we're going to take marijuana. This, this child finds themselves now charged with this class two misdemeanor. And the judge says, you got to go to school and be there on time every day. You got to do your homework. You got to obey your parents. You can't miss curfew. And you've got so many community service hours that you've got to do. And all of this is going to be written into what's called a court order. And then this young person is going to find themselves before the judge at some point just to see whether or not they have abided by, or perhaps they make a mistake and they are called back before that judge because they have violated one of those stipulations on that order. In Virginia right now, that child can face seven days in jail. That child could be detained for seven days and all stemming from what we have now made legal for adults and something that potentially, it, it, right? It was a civil penalty, right? But now all of a sudden, here's a child who's facing seven days of detention. And we attempted to go after that particular uh, statute, but um, judges said that they really needed it. They needed to have something to get those kids in order, get them in line. And so now, unfortunately, yeah, all of those things that I said that could be in that court order, but ultimately they could find themselves literally in jail. Mm -hmm. and, and judges are saying they need these types of codes to continue to enforce for young folks. Um, and it sounds a lot like we, we hear from folks like Brian of when law enforcement are saying we need these types of codes to be able to search a car or find certain things or people. Um, I was just gonna say the most troubling thing is that we find our legal system saying we need to be able to punish children. Not we need to be able to direct them in positive paths. Not that we need to make sure that they are being supported in all of the ways that perhaps they are not being supported, but we need to have concrete harsh punishments that we can impose Got a few more minutes. We do want to, I want to invite Brian Kennedy back up. We heard from Valerie about the penalties for young, particularly, but Brian, could you also just run through a little bit of the penalties now that have changed with the code July 1? Sure. So um, again, possession of under an ounce, things you can't do, possessing between one ounce and one pound, that's going to get you a $25 ticket and a civil citation if you're over 21. Um, if you have over a pound, that's a felony. So you really need to make sure you don't have over a pound, especially if you're growing at home and you just got to 
it's not like you're going to be measuring that every day, but you got to make sure you keep it under a pound. Also, probably we haven't talked about sharing yet. You're allowed to share under one ounce with another person. And by share, I mean, give it to them for free for nothing else in return. Just being a kind friend or neighbor, give it to someone for nothing in return. You cannot sell marijuana without a license now or ever um, in Virginia. So you can't sell. You also can't do the cute stuff they were doing in DC. Do you want to buy my sticker for $10 and I'll give you some cannabis? You cannot do that in Virginia. Um, so be very, very careful. You cannot get anything in return for marijuana, product, service, money, otherwise. Um, consuming in a public space that we've talked about, the first time is a $25 ticket. The second time is a $25 ticket. And then you have to go to a substance abuse class. And like Valerie was talking about, all of a sudden, if you don't do that, you're violating a court order. And even for adults, you got to be careful because some judges think they need to punish you for not following a court order, and then things can escalate from there. And the third time you're consuming in public, it's a misdemeanor um, with up to a $250 fine. Driving under the influence, still a class one misdemeanor, 12 months in jail, $2,500 fine, 12 month loss of your privilege to drive in some circumstances, and a substance abuse course, and getting a DUI, even if it's for marijuana, is gonna end up running you close in the neighborhood of $10,000 between all of the legal repercussions of that. and really set back you set you back a lot so please please be careful having using marijuana while driving is going to be a misdemeanor that's going to end up getting you a fine and then obviously everything valerie said about being under 21 having it on school grounds um, all sorts of other repercussions if you're under 21 or are a juvenile that can just pile on um, like valerie was saying with delinquency so definitely be careful know the rules um, because once you end up in the criminal legal system, things only get worse from there. Thank you. And um, I, I want to also just say that we are covering a lot. And what we are continuing to just say is that just really know what you're at risk for. Um, many things we're saying that you may or may not want to do because it is risky and because there are still ways for this enforcement to happen. Just a reminder that Marijuana Monthly's is the first Wednesday of every month at 6.30. Um, we are here on the Zoom space, the registration link that brought you here. So if you have questions, we may not always have these amazing panelists, but we do invite uh, speakers on and our Legalize It Right Coalition is really accessible. Uh, since there are no questions coming in right now, but I see something actually Kalia just dropped in there. Uh, Kalia, do you wanna just say your question out loud? Yeah, and someone asked me why they, they were going from civil fees to a felony. And we're saying like, why isn't there a misdemeanor in there? Um, so can anyone maybe explain maybe why there's a benefit to there not being a misdemeanor? I'm looking at Brian or Val, some of our legal folks. Sure, I, I mean, obviously people wanna, it sounds good like, hey, there's a misdemeanor level of a crime and a felony level of a crime. That's that's a good thing, right? I think the, the problem here and something we may have to worry about the next General Assembly session, as we're hearing, is that they're not going to say one ounce to one pound is a civil infraction, one pound to two pounds is a misdemeanor, two pounds and above is a felony. What they're going to say is one ounce and below is nothing, one ounce two ounces is is a civil infraction two ounces to a pound is a misdemeanor so all 
if something is going to be made a misdemeanor, it's going to increase penalties for something that is now just a civil infraction. It's something that a lot of other states do. It's something where luckily we didn't do. They set it at a pound, which is lower than they initially did, um, but made it a felony. So it keeps people out of criminal land, if you want to put it that way, out of being a crime, which is always better. Um, yeah, they're not going to take something that's a felony and make it a misdemeanor now. They're only going to make penalties worse for people. So, sorry, my um, follow-up question, just to be clear, because I also had to explain this, is that civil and mis, like, once you go to a misdemeanor, that is different. Like, that is criminal. Civil lives a little bit differently on your record. Yeah, I think the easiest way to think about it is, a, like, in the driving context, if you're speeding, that's a civil infraction. So, yes, it's a fine. Yes, you may have to come to court, but you can't go to jail. It doesn't stay on your record forever. Um, when employers say, have you ever been convicted of a misdemeanor? You say no. Um, so it doesn't have the same, they're called collateral consequences. It doesn't impact employment, lots of things like that. Um, at least in terms of it being a civil infraction, like we talked about, it can impact immigration and federal security clearances if it's marijuana, lots of other things. Um, once you get a misdemeanor, that's a crime. And when someone asks you, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Do you have a criminal record? All of those things come into it. Um, and that's especially, you know, again, immigration, employment, all sorts of other areas of your life it's going to impact. So there is a huge difference between a civil infraction and a misdemeanor, even if you just get a fine for both. The fact that something is a misdemeanor means it's going to impact your life much more. The reason I want to follow up is because young people age 17 and below, it's a civil penalty that carries criminal consequence. So it's a both and for 17 and younger. Everything that Brian said, that works perfectly in the adult arena, but for 17 and below, that civil consequence carries, or that civil penalty carries a criminal consequence for children. So now that he's explained that and, and you are wrapping your mind around that, that, that true distinction, understand that it doesn't apply to children. And that is something that many of us learned last General Assembly as well when we were going through this code. And it sounded like a lot of legislators also needed to learn it. it I, I don't know. Um, thank you so much for, for those questions. And as Brian said, that it may be something that's going forward in General Assembly and next general session. I'm going to head over to Brian Kennedy. Do you want to just uh, say, you know, what particular are you looking forward to working on next year around marijuana as we continue to move forward? And then a little bit about how folks can follow uh, you all at Justice Forward. Um, follow us at Justice Forward. You can find us on Twitter or Facebook, Justice Forward Virginia, or Justice FWDVA on Twitter. Um, that You can find our website there, justiceforwardva.com as well. That has all of our information. In terms of marijuana, I think there's just so much work to do, even in the criminal legal space. Um, I think it's the main priority is trying to fix some of this stuff with kids, um, that everything Valerie was talking about, that needs to be our number one priority to make sure that children and young people are not treated more harshly than adults for something that's not legalized. And... Um... I am going to go ahead and go next to Kalia a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what you all are looking forward to continue to work on in marijuana and how folks can follow you all at VSPN. 
Yes, as you've heard, the work is laid out and cut out for us, especially on college campuses. So we are looking forward to pressuring universities as well as the state to remove police from drug enforcement on campuses, of course, starting with marijuana, but it goes down the list of drugs as well. Um, and we will also be fighting hard uh, to just remove police off of campus in general. Uh, outside of that, making sure that our students know about this change of law, know what the risks are, um, and fighting to make sure that uh, children and young people especially are prioritized in the next General Assembly session. And you can follow us at VA Student Power on everything, at a.org on it, and that's our website. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kalia. And Valerie, what about you? I mean, you, you've talked so much about what we're going to continue to work on and, and the greater picture, you know, moving into health systems, the court order. But what are some last things that you're, you're working forward, looking forward to work on with the coalition and how people can support you at Rise for Youth? Yeah, so um, echoing both Brian and Kalia, actually echoing everyone. We have got to make young folks the priority this General Assembly session. I'm tired of beating the drum. Don't forget the children. Don't forget the children because they are always like the afterthought. When we are going into General Assembly session, when they're making these laws, it's almost as if, huh, you mean that might have a negative consequence on children? Hmm. It's, an, it's, it's something they think about at the end. It's time for children to be in the forefront of our thoughts and of our minds. If we recognize that we are attempting to build a world that is going to be better for children, we are building a world that we are willing to hand over to them, then we've got to make sure that we don't criminalize an entire generation. Then we're looking around to figure out who are we going to hand it to. Um, so we will continue to fight for children to not bear the brunt of this new legalized marijuana. We're going to get rid of the valid court order exception. We have got to move um, our Department of Juvenile Justice into the Secretary of Health, along with every other child serving agency in Virginia. And I mean, I could go on and I won't, but what I'll ask is that you please follow us on all social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Rise for Youth. Um, and then again, like Leah said, add.org and that's our website. Amazing, amazing. Okay, well, um, the coalition is really has a lot of work to do, which means we need a lot of support. And, you know, people are really interested in, in getting involved in General Assembly, but we are still always doing that even in the summertime. So please come to the events, follow these orgs, listening to what's going on, because it will be come around very soon while we will be asking for how we can support your voices in these movements as well. So we want to continue the repeal of no new crimes, looking at these laws of open container, not criminalizing our youth, legalizing public consumption, looking at the zero tolerance policies, and, and we haven't mentioned that the resentencing for those incarcerated was not included in this bill at all. So that is another big portion that has to happen coming up. Um, and why we know if we don't work on it, then they will leave our folks behind. And that's why we're just really continuing to gain support for this so that the administration and the legislators cannot tell us again that, hey, they just ran out of time to talk about it. Um, but they had plenty of time to talk about building up the commercial business side. So um, we're going to continue to, as Ashta pointed out as well, with this commercial business side, there will be tax revenues. Um, how much of that is going to the equity fund? And then where are those dollars going directly? So um, we've talked about a lot, but that is how much opportunity there is as well. 
Um, I'm really grateful for everything um, that's going on. Yeah, I, I really, I see a comment right now that talks about this is a medicine, not a drug. It is so absolutely unfortunate. And this has always been something the professionals from the 70s have said, this is a medicinal thing and should not be part of the carceral system at all. So hearing Valerie talk about that is something I know that many of us feel very deeply about. So um, thank you for that comment. And uh, thank you for attending. Uh, my name is Chelsea Higgs Wise with Marijuana Justice. You can follow us at THC Justice now um, on all social media, marijuanajustice.org. Um, as Kalia said in the comments, hashtag coins, not cuffs um, for our people that have been incarcerated as well and arrest and convicted and just targeted and really hashtag uh, follow the work at Legalize It Right. Um, this is something that we're really working on uh, nationally with folks. This is something we've done really influential in Virginia. Many states are not talking like this. Many states are reaching out to us, finding and learning more about how to do this in their area. So we continue have to work with you all to make this right. Um, if there are no more questions or anything, I'm going to uh, end this for the night and thank everyone for coming. Um, and we will see you next time right here. Marijuana Monthly is the first Wednesday. Uh, thanks so much for everyone being here. Thanks for listening to Reefer Revolution 4 right here on Race Capital. Make sure you tune in every week, Wednesday at 10 a.m. on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Everything we do, gonna make our dreams come true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm singing Herb Must Legalize Now. This earth would be in a much more dreadful situation. Earth must legalize now. Shout it out if you want the earth for free. Hold up your hand if you want the earth for free. Jump around cause we want the earth for free. And rest up on the chalice all day. Babylon won't take it out. No matter what they do, I'll say, marijuana is here to stay.